Be sure to make note of our upcoming events. Sunday, May 23rd is graduation Sunday. Email admin at weareconverged.com to let us know if you or someone in your family is graduating so we can celebrate with you. Sunday, May 30th is Memorial Day weekend. We will be giving special honor to our fallen service members. In the month of June, we will resume in-person gatherings at Preston Trail Community Church at the McKinney Campus. It's located at 1611 Wilmoth Road in McKinney. We'll be meeting Saturdays at 5 p.m. No RSVP is required. On Saturday, June 5th, we will hold communion and a new sermon series will begin. Saturday, June 19th is Father's Day and baby dedications. Please email admin at weareconverged.com if you plan to dedicate your little one during our baby dedication ceremony. Be sure to visit our e-store to purchase your Converge summer merch while supplies last. You can make these purchases at store.weareconverged.com. Follow, subscribe, and share us on social at We Are Converge. Make sure to select the notification button so you can get updates whenever we add new content to our social media platforms. Welcome Converge Nation. We're so glad you joined us this morning. We want you to stand up or you can sit down, but worship with hearts abandoned, hands lifted high. Because we're worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Prince of Peace. Sing it. We love to call your name. It's something we cannot explain. That happens when we proclaim your great name. Your great name. We love you. Call your name.
Hey there, Converge Nation. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're watching from. We're so glad you tuned in to today's broadcast, Converge Online, Converge at Home. We'd like to welcome all of our members, all of our virtual family. We like to call you our V-Fam. And I'd like to give a specific, a very specific, not Pacific, <laughs> a very specific shout out uh, to our VFAM all the way from South Africa. Uh, I got about a dozen pictures. Pastor Wendy and I got about a dozen pictures uh, from our virtual family, and they were so excited to receive their 10th anniversary commemorative gift boxes from Converge Church. So to our amazing VFAM all the way in South Africa, thank you so much for tuning in faithfully, consistently, every single Sunday. We're honored to serve you in this capacity, and we're so glad, we're so glad, so humbled that you call us your spiritual family. So big shout out to Koketso and Kolo Makafola, who are visiting family in South Africa over the next several weeks. And uh, man, we miss you guys already. We pray that your time in South Africa will be restorative. It'll be refreshing, that you will be replenished and, uh, and man, ready to hit the ground running when you get back, because we are going to put you to work as we prepare to relaunch our in-person gatherings. PSA, Converge Church, a public service announcement. Make sure you save the dates. We will be resuming in-person gatherings. You've heard it in the news. You've received the emails. It bears repeating. Saturday nights, 5 p.m. at Preston Trail McKinney in... Oh, Preston Trail McKinney in McKinney, 1611 Wilmoth Road. We look forward to worshiping with you corporately, and we've got a lot of fun stuff planned. So make plans now to attend. Well, without further ado, we're going to dive into the word this morning. And uh, listen, it's bittersweet once again because we've come to the end of the road. Still I can't let go, it's so, you be, I be, look at y'all finishing all them lines, y'all still a bunch of heathens, Converge Church, come on, shake off that carnality, no, I'm just kidding, come on, listen, if you're really old school, old, old school, come on, you're thinking coolie high. If you kind of sort of old school slash new school, you're thinking boys to men from the 90s. But we have come to the end of the road for this sermon series. And forgive your pastor, haven't been taking really good care of these pipes over the years. They've kind of gotten a little raspy. But listen, we've come to the end of the road, bittersweet for this sermon series, Church in the Wild. My prayer is today we'll finish strong as we finish out the remaining, the remaining eight tests that Joseph endured on his way to purpose. And it's a picture of the way that God develops us through crisis and through difficulty. Uh, we've gotten incredible feedback from you about how your lives have been impacted by this series. And today, as we close out, we trust that, the, that God will minister to you by his spirit and through his word in a very specific, a very unique way that God will meet you right where you are at the point of your need in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you now uh, for your precious holy word. The entrance of your word gives light. 
And so, Father, we send forth your word now, and I thank you that it produces healing and transformation and clarity in the lives of your people. We thank you today, God, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Illuminate our understanding and give clarity to our way. We trust you for that now in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said a good amen. Turn with me to our anchor text, which is lifted from Genesis chapter 39. We're continuing in the chapters of Joseph's life, and we're unpacking, we're deep diving what it looks like to be a church that is developed, that is cultivated in the wild, not the safety of the zoo, but in our natural habitat as devoted Christ followers of this savage Jesus. Amen. And we've, we've chosen Joseph as a perfect example of how God develops us in the wild, uh, not in our comfort zones, not in places of convenience, uh, but ultimately in places, in seasons, in chapters of adversity, of great difficulty, of great resistance. Think it not strange. Come on. Uh, when you find yourself in a hard place, God has a way of using all of our life circumstances, all of life situations. And that's why Paul said it this way. And we know, I argue, and I submit to you the most important words in that verse from Romans 8 and 28 is the first three words. And we know. Because crisis will always come to cause you to question what you thought you knew. What you thought you knew about yourself, what you thought you knew about your circumstances, come on, what you thought you knew about your relationships and your circle and your friends, it will cause you to question everything you thought you knew. Yet Paul declares to the church at Rome, and we know. What do we know? This is what we know. That all things, that is an all-inclusive word, not just some things, but that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so, beloved, this morning, I want to remind you that as we examine the life of Joseph, we learn these life lessons. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear this, beloved, that in the kingdom economy, there are no losses, only lessons. That in Christ, there's never a win-lose proposition. It is always win-learn. And that's why when we have God's perspective on what we're going through, we can declare, like Paul said in Romans 8.28, it bears repeating, and we know, and we know, because it wasn't a loss, it was a lesson learned. And so we, as we examine the life of Joseph, as we examine these tests, as we examine these chapters of Joseph's life, I want you to find encouragement. I want you to receive exhortation and admonition because the principles we find in Joseph's life also apply to us today because the word of God is immutable, it is irrefutable. In fact, it is eternal and it never returns to him void. So I declare in Jesus' name to everyone under the sound of my voice, in your listening and your hearing, come on, with your ears of faith, in your seeing, with your eyes of faith, that you will recognize with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh set of ears what God is doing right now. In fact, I just feel like taking a little bit of a break right now to declare to you, to declare to you <laughs> that praise, 
is never a speech problem. In fact, it is a sight problem. <laughs> you say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Uh, worship and praise and thanksgiving. These, uh, these, this posture of our hearts is never about speech first. It's always about sight. You say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? When you and I can't see <laughs> what God is doing, it impacts what we say. If we don't see God at work in the midst of our crisis, what comes out of our mouth, what is activated in our speech is murmuring and complaining. But when we open our eyes to see what God is doing, just like God said, uh, just like Elijah said to God concerning Elisha, or was it Elisha and Gehazi? It was one of those two. But he said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see that they that are for us are more than they that are for them. Listen, if you don't see it, you'll never see it. And part of the disconnect with our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving is not that it is a speech problem, it's a sight problem. And that's why, that's why I'm praying right now that as we close out this series and as we consider the life of Joseph, that you will begin to see your circumstances through a new lens, a God lens, that will activate praise and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. We're in Genesis chapter number 39. Uh, we've already covered the pride test, and we said the pride test comes when the dream comes. We've covered uh, the pit test, and we said the pit test happens when the enemy comes against the dream. Pride test when the dream comes, pit test when the enemy comes against the dream. And last week we said divine opportunities often attract demonic opposition. So Joseph finds himself in the pit, thrown in the pit, not by strangers, not by adversaries, but his own family, his own kinfolk. But God is redemptive in all that he does because as we pick up the narrative in Genesis chapter number 39, we'll find that after the pit, God quickly brings promotion to Joseph's life. But initially, it doesn't look like promotion. And may I submit to you that sometimes life's disruptions, life's interruptions are actually divine interventions in disguise. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Sometimes divine interventions are disguised as life's interruptions. So Joseph finds himself in the pit, but that pit experience is quickly disrupted by a promotion where God lifts him out of the pit. His own brothers lift him out of the pit and in what they think is an act of mercy, in what they think is an act of benevolence, they sell Joseph into slavery, come on, to their cousins. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? They sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now, for those of you who are Bible scholars, you know that Abram, Abraham had two sons. <laughs> he had a, not Abraham. Was it Abraham? It was Abraham. Abraham had two sons. Come on, somebody. Uh, he had Isaac, who was the son of promise. But before he had Isaac, he had himself an oops, and his name was Ishmael. He had Ishmael because Abraham was trying to help God because God was taking a little too long. And may I say that most of us are guilty 
of Ishmael moments when we try to get ahead of God and we try to help God when God is taking us through a process of perfection, of maturity. And here is the here are the Ishmaelites now, descendants of Abraham. And here is Joseph, also a descendant of Abraham, but through the lineage of Isaac and Jacob. So his siblings sell him into slavery to his own cousins, the Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites take their cousin Joseph, and they sell him into slavery in Egypt to an executioner, the chief executioner, the captain of the palace guard named Potiphar. Listen to me. <laughs> what the enemy thought would be your termination <laughs> was just God's vehicle to take you to your destination. Remember, I said that your enemies will try to destroy you because they think that in destroying you, the dream will die with you. Listen, God used the Ishmaelites <laughs> to get Joseph to the place of his purpose and destiny. I don't know who your Ishmaelites are today. I don't know who's handling you. I don't know what circumstances and situations you've been enslaved to. But God is redemptive in all he does. And what the enemy meant for evil against you, God will use it for good. He will use the very people that the enemy thinks is going to destroy you to deliver you. I want you to hear, they will deliver you into the place of your divine purpose and fulfillment in Jesus' name. So in Genesis chapter 39, we're talking about the promotion test. Listen to this. The promotion test comes when God wants to determine, I want you to hear this, how well you can steward what belongs to others. That's a heavy test because God must test your stewardship and your faithfulness to manage what belongs to someone else before he can give you what is yours. You say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? I believe it's Luke chapter 16. These are the, the words in red. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus talks about three tests in Luke chapter number 16. The first test is the test of little things. He says... If you haven't been faithful in the little, how can God make you ruler over much? And must, most of us derail on the road to destiny because we're too big <laughs> for our britches. We're too important to deal with little things. And may I submit to you this morning, Converge Nation, <laughs> that, that if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. It will always evade you and escape you. I'll say it again. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Because the test that comes is the test of little things. Can you be faithful over little things so that I can entrust great things? The second test is the test of mammon. Jesus said it this way. If you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon, how can God entrust true riches to you? Notice that in the kingdom economy, money, wealth is not even counted as true riches. God said, I can't even entrust true riches to you if you haven't learned to steward and manage unrighteous mammon. Speaks of human systems 
and human economies. And then the third thing Jesus said is, if you haven't been faithful in that which belongs to someone else, come on somebody, how will God give you what is your own? So the promotion test comes when God is trying to determine whether we can steward well what belongs to someone else. And not just stewarding well what belongs to someone else, stewarding well what belongs to someone else after life has dealt you a whole tree full of lemons. When your own brothers have betrayed you, when your own brothers have thrown you in a pit, when your own brothers have sold you into slavery, can you still find the courage and the integrity and the character to manage what belongs to someone else when it seems like God has put your life on hold? It's so much easier to harbor resentment in those seasons and those moments. But God is saying, baby, it's only a test. I brought you out of the pit and I brought you into Potiphar's house because the promotion test comes to see if you can steward what belongs to someone else. Here's how you get through the promotion test. In fact, let's read the text. Genesis chapter number 39. Verses 1 through 6. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6. And the, 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 the text, the narrative picks up in verse 1 with these words. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, influential, a man of authority, and a man of means. An Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites. Again, the descendants... Those who were of the lineage of Ishmael, their cousins, Isaac, Ishmael, and their descendants, the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Remember, they're just a vehicle. They're just God's means of transportation uh, to get Joseph to his place of destiny. Uh, verse 2 declares, this is somewhat of a paradox, an oxymoron, an irony, y'all. Notice what verse 2 says. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a, what? A successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Pump the brakes, hold up, wait a minute. Come on, listen, listen to what the scripture says. He's been sold into slavery, yet the Bible declares the Lord was with him. <laughs> I don't know where you find yourself today. Your situation and circumstances may not be ideal. But listen. Just like Joseph, the Lord is with you. And notice what the verse says next. It says the Lord was with him and he was a successful man. <laughs> in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, sold into slavery against his will, yet the strong hand, <laughs> the favorable hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. I'm talking about a church that's cultivated in the wild. I'm talking about Christ followers that are cultivated in the wild. In the midst of your Potiphar circumstances, can you still see that the Lord is with you and that you are successful even though the world calls you a slave and a servant? Joseph had this testimony that the Lord was with him and he was a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian. Come on, somebody. You know why that's important? Your condition does not define or determine 
your position or disposition. I'll say that again. Your condition in life should not define or determine your position or your disposition. You know what I'm talking about? Your position is sonship. There is absolutely no condition that will ever change the fact that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, that you are a child of God. So if you find yourself somewhere in Egypt against your will, oh, always remember that you will always, you are and always be a son. You are and you will always be a daughter. You are and you will always be a child of God because your condition, uh, no matter what it is, good, bad, indifferent, ugly, does not have the power to change your position in Christ. And that is sonship. Number two, number two, your condition doesn't have the power to change your disposition. Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me qualify that. Uh, let me tweak that a little bit. Because your condition could alter your disposition, where instead of giving thanks in all things, you murmur and complain. But notice, notice that Joseph's disposition was submission and surrender even in an uncomfortable place. The way you get through the promotion test, if you find yourself in a hard place, recognize your sonship and embrace your disposition of submission and surrender to the purposes and the plans of God. Here's the second way you get over or get through and pass the promotion test. Number two, choose contentment. I said this early on in the series. Choose contentment over resentment on the road to fulfillment. There are going to be pit stops on your road to divine fulfillment. But when we find ourselves in Potiphar's house, we can choose resentment or we can choose contentment. And Joseph chose contentment. Notice, notice Joseph's testimony. Verse 3 says, and his master saw. It was evident. It was undeniable. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. Notice, even those who have been sent against you will see the hand of the Lord upon you, and you can be in a place against your will, not a place of your choosing, and it will be evident and undeniable to all those around you that the hand of the Lord is upon you because he will cause everything you set your hands to to prosper. You know why? Because you choose stewardship, managing well what belongs to others over having a pity party in a hard place. That's what Joseph chose. He chose to give his best even when life had dealt him its worst. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the promotion test. Can I steward well what belongs to someone else when my life has been put on hold? Uh, the story continues. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, verse, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight, and Joseph served him. Joseph is serving Potiphar. He's serving Potiphar. And he's not just serving Potiphar, but he's serving Potiphar well. 
He's stewarding well what belonged to someone else. And it says, then Potiphar made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under Joseph's authority. You know how promotion happens? Steward well what belongs to someone else. Don't be so fixated on your own dream, your own selfish ambition, that you miss the promotion test because you're unwilling to steward what belongs to somebody else. You're in such a hurry to get to the end. You're in such a hurry to get to your dream. And God said, I can't get you to your dream because you haven't developed this trait of stewardship, managing well what belongs to someone else. And verse 5 says, so it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian. I want you to hear that. The Lord blessed Potiphar because of Joseph. Because Joseph was in Potiphar's house. How many of you realize that God can bless and shift the culture of where you are because you steward well? what belongs to others, and because he can use you, because his hand is upon you. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says it this way. Every man will boast of his own goodness, but a faithful man, a faithful woman, who can find? You know what that verse infers? That faithful men and faithful women are rare. And what Joseph is proving is that God desires to raise up men and women who will be faithful in the wild. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house <laughs> and in the field. You know why? Because Joseph touched it. May I declare to you that wherever you are, in the marketplace, in the public square, even in your house, that the Lord will bless Everything you set your hand to because you're passing the promotion test and you're stewarding well what belongs to someone else. Listen, we got to move on. We got to move on. <laughs> I got to get through all eight of these tests. All of that was just one test. Come on, fast forward, Pastor Ray. Pick up the pace. Here we go. Here we go. Pick up the pace. The next test in the midst of promotion that comes is the purity test. Because while Joseph is going about his business, Honoring Potiphar, and in honoring Potiphar, he's honoring God. Here comes Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, uh, and the problems begin. Come on, somebody. Notice what happens in verse number seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, that's Potiphar's wife, that's Potiphar, uh, uh, cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Come on, somebody, indecent proposal. And she said, lie with me. Verse 8 says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has into my hand. Come on, somebody. And Joseph said in verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. Joseph understood the importance, the weightiness of covenant, of the marriage bed. He understood honor, honor for their marriage, honor for his boss, honor for uh, Potiphar's wife. And he refused to lie 
with her. Notice what he says next. He says, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God. You see, Joseph understood the power of reverence for God. Joseph understood the, the importance of character because character is who you truly are when no one's looking. May I just submit to you, most of us have, have trouble making the distinction between charisma and character. And we often allow our charisma to take us into places where our character can't keep us. And I'll go even a step further to most of the people who occupy pulpits around the United States and around the world. Listen, the people in the pews, unfortunately, can't even decipher, they can't even discern the difference between charisma and anointing because there is a difference. You can draw a large crowd with your charisma, with your uh, eloquent speech and your good looks, but it's only the anointing that destroys the yoke and there is a distinction. And here, right here, Joseph is teaching us the importance of the purity test. What is the purity test? The purity test, uh, how well can I steward my own body? And my own desires. Mm. How well can I steward my own body and my own desires? Here it is. The purity test is the choice we make between self-leadership to do the right thing, to do the hard thing versus self-sabotage when we choose the easy way. The Bible declares in Hebrews chapter 11 concerning Moses that he chose to suffer reproach with his people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. <laughs> rather than to enjoy the pleasures, plural, of sin for a season. Notice, it feels good. It's pleasurable to your carnal nature. But it's only for a season. It has an expiration date and a shelf life. And if you and I are going to make it to our destination, if we're going to fulfill God's purpose and plan for our lives, you're going to have to pass the purity test. You're going to have to choose self-leadership over self-sabotage. Self-leadership does the hard things. Self-leadership walks away. Self-indulgence and self-sabotage takes the easy way out. It chooses the pleasures of sin for a season over suffering reproach with God's people. And in this moment, Joseph passed the purity test with flying colors because he learned how to possess his own vessel. Notice what, uh, 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 what 1 Thessalonians declares. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll begin, it's, I'll begin reading at verse number 1. It says, for this is the will of God. You know the, what the will of God is? Do you want to know what the will of God is explicitly in his word? It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, to be set apart, to be consecrated unto him, set apart for him. The word holy is two words altogether separate. So when the Bible talks about being holy, it means be altogether separate and removed from anything that is unholy. That's why... Uh, uh, it's, it's in the Old Testament, but Paul reiterates it in, I believe, 1 Corinthians, maybe chapter 7, where he says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And I will be 
your God and you will be my people. What is he talking about? He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about coming out from among them and separating oneself. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you, here it is, should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and testified. The purity test. Joseph passed the purity test. But passing the purity test cost him. And it cost him dearly. Because now he's the victim of a false accusation. Potiphar's wife turns the table. She flips the script on Joseph. Where she was the, the aggressor and putting the moves on Joseph, she now accuses Joseph of sexual harassment. And, 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 and so Potiphar, this desperate housewife, changes the story. And Joseph now is about to suffer for doing what is right. I'm talking about the chapters of your life. I'm talking about the pit stops on the road to your purpose. These tests come so that God can develop Christ-like character in us. He develops us in the wild so that we can be all that he called us to be. Uh, uh, the next test is the prison test. There's the promotion test, but there's also the pit test. There's the promotion test, but there's also the pit test. And may I submit to you that maybe sometimes the promotion is followed by the prison because the temptation is to think that when you're in Potiphar's house and you're in charge of everything, that's as good as it gets. Maybe this is what the dream was about. Maybe the dream was really about serving Potiphar. But sometimes God sends the prison test to disrupt your willingness to settle for less than what he created you for. Because even though you went from the pit to a promotion, the promotion is not the pinnacle of God's purpose for your life. Sometimes God sends the prison test to disrupt you're settling in Potiphar's house because there's more beyond this promotion. So God sends the prison, God sends the prison, and in the prison, in the prison, this is what we discover. The prison test is when doing the right thing produces unintended consequences. I don't know who this is for this morning. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you were falsely accused for doing the right thing. Maybe you were ostracized for going against the pack. Come on, Liz Cheney. Maybe you're standing up for what is right. Yeah, I said it. I said it. You're standing up for what is right and dignified. Yet it's unpopular. That's what the prison looks like because most times the prison test is when you are punished. You experience unintended consequences for doing what is right. And you say, well, God, all I was doing was honoring you. All I was doing was preserving your name. I was honoring you, God. I was honoring Potiphar. And for doing the right thing, now I'm in prison. Yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens because life isn't always fair. But here's the question. Can you still 
give your best. Here's the prison test. Can you still give your best, the best of who you are, after you've been mistreated? And that's what most of us fail to do. We withhold the best part of who we are because of what someone else did to us. Pastor Wendy and I call it the ex-boyfriend syndrome. You make the new boyfriend pay for what the last guy did. You have unresolved hurt and pain. And so Joseph now is in the prison, but he still gives his best. I want you to hear this. He still gives his best while he is experiencing unintended consequences for doing what was right. He's in prison, falsely accused for doing what was right. Yet he gave his very best, withheld nothing. Come on, William McDowell. Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. And some of us have to get to that place where we say, God, whether it's in the pit, whether it's in the prison, whether it's in Potiphar's house, I choose to withhold nothing especially the best of who I am. I will continue to give my best. I will continue to pour out who I am. And I'm not going to let these circumstances keep me from being my best for you. That's for somebody this morning. Let's go back to 39. I lost my place. Let's go back to chapter 39. Uh, Verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Oh, familiar phrase. Can God be with me even in the prison? When life has thrown me into a place of confinement, can God still be with me after the promotion? Can he still be with me? in the? Absolutely. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him mercy and gave him favor. Hey! In the sight of the keeper of the prison. May I declare to you that God wants to give you favor with every decision maker wherever you are. Even in the prison. Uh, And and notice what it says, verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners. Hold up. Joseph is in prison and he's still in charge? Come on, somebody. Because you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep a God man down. You can't keep a favored man or woman down. You can't keep a blessed man or woman down. You come on, somebody. And and so Joseph is in charge of everything that, and notice what it says. And whatever they did there, it was Joseph's doing. Whatever happened in the prison, nothing moved. The buck stopped with Joseph. In the King James, it says, and whatever they did in the prison, Joseph was the doer of it. You know why? Because he was passing the prison test. He withheld nothing. In spite of the mistreatment, he continued to give the best of who he was. Come on, somebody. And notice verse 23. The keeper of the prison, it sounds a lot like Potiphar's house. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's hand. That was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it prosper. The prison test. Can I continue to give the best of who I am even when I've been mistreated? That's a word to somebody today who has held back 
the best of who they are. Come on, just receive healing now from that thing right where you are. Let it go and let God. In Jesus' name. Next test is the prophetic test. How am I allowing God's word to mold me? How am I allowing God's word to mold me? I'm not going to say that a whole lot about that because I could, but I've got to move on so we can get to the end of the message. But the prophetic test, I believe it's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, maybe verse number 18. Let me see if I can find that. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. This is not in my notes, but I think it's important for us to highlight this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. There it is. This is Paul speaking to his mentee, uh, Pro, uh, a mentor to protege, mentor to mentee, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18. And, and Paul writes, and he says, This charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What was Paul saying? He was saying the prophetic test comes so that it can sustain you in the hard times. That you can hold on to the prophetic word that was spoken over you. And by that prophetic word, because you know where you're going, because God has given you a glimpse of where he's taking you, that you hold on and you wage a good warfare, that you fight through all of life's disruptions, to, through all of life's delays, through all of life's detours, and you wage a good warfare according to the prophecy that was given you. So in the prison, hold on. Listen, in the prison, hold on to the prophecy. Joseph held on to that prophecy. He kept that picture in front of him, that picture of greatness that God gave him when he was 17. It is the prophetic test. It is the prophetic test. So Joseph interprets two dreams while he's in prison that came true. It is the picture of, uh, uh, it was two dreams, uh, one with the baker and the butler, and both dreams came to pass. Joseph says humbly to them, uh, uh, when you're promoted, remember me. And once again, humanity shows up. Joseph does good. And he interprets these dreams. He withholds nothing. And the two men, the butler and the baker, forget about it. Until two years later, when Pharaoh has a dilemma and needs someone to interpret his dreams, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the butler remembers Joseph. And Joseph stands before Pharaoh in great humility and acknowledges that this ability to interpret dreams is not human in origin, that it comes from God. And he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And in interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, he's promoted again. In fact, he's promoted. In one day, he goes, come on, somebody. He goes from the prison to the palace in one day. May I declare to you, listen, some of us have more faith that things will go from good to bad than we have that things can go from bad to good. We're always walking on eggshells, so afraid, don't, don't even want to breathe because we're afraid that this good thing might suddenly be taken away. And we, we have more faith that things can go from, from good to bad, more than we believe that can go from bad to good. Here is Joseph's life. In one day, God promoted him and he goes 
from the prison to the palace. He's second only to Pharaoh. And that's where the power test comes. The power test happens when you and I are tested with authority. When you and I are tested with power and authority. Come on, ghost. Come on, Tommy. <laughs> Listen, some of us be tripping as soon as we get that title. As soon as we're given a little bit of authority. And the, t the power test comes when you're tested with authority. Genesis chapter 46. I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 42 verses 6 through 12. We're not going to read it. I encourage you to because this is a picture of what Joseph does when he has authority in terms of how he interacts with his own brothers who had done him wrong. He had the power. He had the power right there to take them all out. He could have done it. But God had done something so profound in Joseph that when he had an opportunity to take out his enemy, he chose to love them instead. That's what Romans 12 teaches us. It says, do not repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. That's how you know that God has done the work in you. That's how you know that God has grown you into the size of your dream. When you have opportunity and you have the capacity to take out your enemies, but you choose to love and forgive them instead. It is the power test. And most of us mistake this because this is meekness in action. And most of us think that meekness is weakness. No, no. Meekness is strength under control. It's Jesus on the cross saying, I can call down a legion of angels right now to take all of y'all out. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The power test comes when God tests me with authority. Next is the prosperity test. The prosperity test comes when you are tested with success. Success is the great magnifier. Success is the great amplifier because success and prosperity don't change people success and prosperity only reveal who we really are and who we've always been doesn't change we just have the means now to act out and trip like we've always wanted to it magnifies who you really are the prosperity test is genesis chapter number 41 then comes the pardon test, and we're about to wrap this thing up. The pardon test. The pardon test comes when you are confronted with unforgiveness and bitterness. This is Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. Again, Joseph is interacting with his brothers, and he has every right to be angry. Has every right. I started to say it. To harbor unforgiveness and resentment. And bitterness. But even then it would have been to his own detriment. It would have been to his own detriment. Because unforgiveness. You've heard it once. You've heard it a thousand times. Is like drinking poison. Hoping and praying that the person who offended and hurt you dies. The only person that the poison of unforgiveness kills. Is the person who holds on to it. The person who drinks from the cup of unforgiveness and bitterness. Uh, I like to call it comic book theology. Because if you read comic books, what you'll discover is this pattern. That every villain starts out a victim. I'll say that again. Comic book theology 
a la Ray Harmon, every villain starts out a victim. And those, those individuals, those characters in these comic books and these storylines story become villains because they never deal with their pain. And this is what, this is what victims who become villains say. Uh, they find peace in not suffering alone. They look for ways for people to suffer with them. So if life is painful for me, I'm going to make life painful for everybody else. Joseph had an opportunity to make life extremely painful for all those who had forgotten him. When he was number two, guess what he could have done? He could have killed all his brothers. He could have killed that butler who forgot him. One was already dead. The, the baker was dead, but he could have killed the butler. He could have gone to Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife and taken out all of them. One failed swoop because he had the authority to do it. He was second only to Potiphar. And even though he had the power, even though he had the authority, even though he had the opportunity, he chose forgiveness because he took his pain. And like we've encouraged you before, he made pain his platform, not his prison. Instead of being a villain who was a victim to his pain, he became a victor over it. It's called the pardon test. I don't know who you're holding on to. I don't know what you're holding on to, but you can't get to purpose. You can't get to destiny if you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. Here's why. Unforgiveness is a prison with cellmates, the offender and the offended. I'll say that, to say that again. Unforgiveness is a prison with two cellmates, both the offender and the offended, chained together. But you can get out of that prison today if you'll simply choose to forgive. Are y'all with me? Because forgiveness is a gift. You give yourself first. All righty, here we are. The purpose test. And that's where we're going to close. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 declares, you intended to harm me. This is Joseph speaking face to face with his brothers now. After he has revealed to them who he is because they didn't even recognize him. And God can, can so transform you. After 13 years in the wild, after 13 chapters of the pit and Promotion, short-lived, and the prison into Potiphar's house. God can so transform you that those who try to kill you don't even recognize who you are. And so he's having this face-to-face, -face, and I promise you this is where I close. And he says to his brothers, you intended this to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. This is where the story sort of ends. There's more to Joseph, but, but this is where we're going to put the, the, the book ends. This is where we're going to put the exclamation mark. Contrast what Joseph is saying in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 to what he said when we're introduced to Joseph in Genesis 37. Oh, all of y'all going to bow to me. All my brothers, and my mama and daddy, all of y'all going to bow to me. But in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, the purpose test gives him divine perspective. 
You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. And here's why. It was never about Joseph. It was never about me. God sent me to Egypt so that many lives would be saved. You know, during the quarantine, there are several shows that Pastor Wendy and I binged, and one of them was The Queen's Gambit. It's the story of a young lady named Elizabeth Harmon. That is my mom's name. And so that just kind of tugged at my heartstrings. And it's this story of this young lady uh, who had her own struggles with addiction and mental health. But she was a brilliant chess player. And I was so fascinated and intrigued by the game of chess just watching the show. Uh, Again, it does have very mature themes like mental health and addiction, but it's an incredible story of resolve and the human mind. And, uh, but this is where I want to close because I think it helps us understand, uh, and I bring up the Queen's Gambit because of how I'm going to close right here, right now. And this is my third and final close, y'all. Here we go. Bishop Kenneth Almer, most of you know him, in fact, uh, there's a family at our church, uh, Dawn King and her mom, Mary Shade, uh, who for many years have been a part of Faithful Central Bible Church in L.A. Uh, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer is the pastor there, and he tells the story of two men, uh, one who was an international chess champion, walking through a museum when they stumbled on a picture titled Checkmate. Uh, uh, one character in the painting was a man, and the other looked to be the devil. Uh, the chess champion looked at the painting and then told his friend to go on ahead. Something about the painting bothered the chess champion, and he wanted, wanted to study it a bit more. A little later, his friend returned, and the chess master said, we need to contact the artist. We need to contact the artist who painted this piece. He either needs to change the painting or change the title. And when his friend asked why, he replied, the title of the picture is Checkmate. But as you look closely at the painting, come on somebody, it becomes clear. Hey, it becomes evident that the king has one more move. <laughs> the devil may have shouted checkmate against your life. The devil may have shouted checkmate against your purpose and your destiny. But I came here this morning, Converge Church, to announce to you, to declare to you that the king and his name is Jesus has one more move. What the devil meant for evil, checkmate, God is going to use for your good and his glory because the king always has one more move. Listen, baby, you're part of that church that's being cultivated and developed in the wild by a savage Jesus. He was, he is, and always will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Let me pray for you as we close this morning. Let me pray for you as we close this morning that you would remind us that the king has one more move. It's not over. 
until Jesus said it's over. Even when the enemy shouts checkmate, the king still has one more move. Let's pray. Father, as we close out this series, we pray that you will seal your word in our hearts, that we will recognize our true image, our true identity in Christ, that we were born for adversity, that we were born to overcome, that we were born to be more than conquerors, not in our own strength, but in the strength that Jesus has made available to us. Father, we thank you for the resurrection power, the resurrection life that soars and surges in our members. We decrease, Lord, that you might increase in us so that it is the life of Jesus in us doing the work in Jesus' name. Your word declares that you are at work in us, according to Philippians 2, both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. So, Father, I thank you that in every area of our lives, every area of our lives, as you develop us, as you form us, we are victors and not victims, the head and not the tail. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Listen, it's been an honor Woo! teaching this series with you. Uh, if you have questions about how you can begin a life-giving relationship with Jesus, if you want to invite him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, our team would like to pray the prayer of salvation with you, and we would also like to send you some resources that will help kickstart your walk with God. Send us an email to echurch, echurch at weareconverged.com. Our amazing team will make sure that they pray with you, they'll contact you, and we'll get these resources out to you so that you can experience this resurrection life and learn what it means to follow our savage Jesus as he builds his church in the wild. Not the building, but the people. God bless you. We'll see you right here next week for Graduation Sunday as we celebrate all of our amazing graduates. God bless you. We'll see you then. If you were impacted by today's message, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some information to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at info at weareconverged.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com slash give. You can also text 77977, type in Converge Give and the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.